Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, dear ones. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? Are you doing well? I pray that you are. I know things are getting crazier by the hour in our country. And um, many people are uh, confused, uh, depressed, uh, don't know what to do, don't know what direction to take. And I say to look ahead and accept the reality that... Soon we may not even have the Mass at all, um, and we may be under a total Marxist uh, system. Uh, I, I'm not saying that's going to be the case, but it's certainly going toward that. At the moment, God could intervene with a greater chastisement. I, I don't know the future, but I know who holds the future. That's a saying that I learned years ago. Um, but I think we need to live... Uh, as I often say, as if it's true. We need to live our faith, not because we've been given permission by the world or even by certain factions in the church, but because God has made us his own. We're baptized, we're in Christ, we are his, uh, we are members of his body, the church, and we need to live that even if we go underground as Cardinal Ratzinger prior to being Pope Benedict XVI predicted. And I've been, we've been getting calls about the, the painful situation of Catholics being refused the Eucharist, uh, on the tongue, which is the church's norm. And we've said before that it's, the question's not up in the air. Bishops have no power. Priests have no power. No one, but perhaps the Holy Father himself has any right or power to refuse communion on the tongue. And, um, even in the midst of a pandemic or epidemic or plague or whatever it's called. And so um, I I mentioned yesterday that John Henry Weston, uh, editor and co-founder of LifeSite News, has um, put together a podcast that I listened to on five reasons why. uh, Let me see what it's titled. Hold on a moment now. Five Reasons Why Catholics Should Only Receive Communion on the Tongue. Now, I found that online, and I have his permission. I'm going to read it to you, because some of you um, have called in and said you can't get it, or for whatever reason. I'd like to read this to you. I think it's the best presentation I've come across of why Catholics should receive Holy Communion on the tongue, and John Paul's, uh, John Henry Weston says, only on the tongue. Now, um, John Henry Weston has said what I have said is my preference that if I cannot, if I'm refused communion on the tongue, I will not receive our Lord in my hand. I will simply do a spiritual communion. Now, there are people who disagree with that, and you're you're as right as I am to disagree with it, if you wish, because the church allows you to receive communion on the hand. So this is not a matter of sin. 
it's a matter of preference, and I, like John Henry, believe it's a matter of the reverence our Lord is due. So um, I'm going to read this article um, that uh, that John Henry has put together that is printed out on his on the life site uh, news on his uh, podcast or his um, blog. And it begins this way. It was just out yesterday. And he says, and again, this is not um, a matter of sin. The church has approved communion on the hand, but it's not the first choice of the church, and it's not the norm. People have misunderstood and say, well, communion on the tongue is allowed, but the norm is on the hand, because you see most people receiving our Lord on the hand. That's incorrect. The norm of the church is to receive our Lord on the tongue. And again, the norm is that you do a profound bow, which I rarely see people doing. Uh, a profound bow is 90 degrees from the waist. It's not a bow of the up, slight bow of the upper body. It's 90 degrees from the waist. That takes a bit of time. And um, that's the norm. Uh, but again, uh, I think everybody should be kneeling. Um, if If there's no kneeler, and we don't have the strength in our knees to go down on the floor, then at least the profound bow, 90-degree bow from the waist, which is what the church does require. So let me go with uh, John Henry Weston's article. It's a bit lengthy because it's fantastic. And, um, and we may not cover the whole thing today, and if we don't, we'll continue tomorrow. Um, and uh, it begins this way. Um, uh, with orders to refuse the faithful Holy Communion on the tongue coming from governmental health authorities and even some bishops. I, John Henry writes, I wanted to give you the reasons why I could never receive Holy Communion in the hand. And if the matter was forced, I would make the sacrifice of just making a spiritual Holy Communion. Uh, Now, I agree with John Henry for myself. There are many who disagree with him. You are welcome. You are legitimate if you disagree. Don't worry about it. But uh, because, again, uh, the church allows it. But um, uh, I, if you agree uh, or if you want to know why some people are so strong about not receiving communion in the hand, this is a good article. And I think John Henry has many reasons, but he's narrowed them down to five five reasons why Catholics should not receive communion on the Holy Communion on the hand. So he didn't say why it's better to receive on the tongue. He says why we should not receive on the hand. He feels that strongly about it. I do too, beloved. But again, it's not a matter of sin. Um, this is our feeling, our opinion. And so um, this is not false teaching. Everybody is is welcome to what uh, to to follow their conscience in this as long as conscience does not go against church teaching. And in this case, church teaches that it's absolutely legit- legitimate. It's an option to receive our Lord on the hand. But again, we must make a profound bow. And very, I've hardly seen anyone do that who receives communion on the hand. Everyone who receives communion on the tongue is normally kneeling, so that's not a problem. But I have rarely seen anyone make a profound bow uh, in a 
filled the church. There's a nod of the head, there's a slight bow of the upper body, but 90 degrees, profound bow to God, takes a bit of time in a, a line that's almost, I could say, considered fast food, taking too much time. So uh, that's kind of a desecration, I think. So here is John Henry. He says, the first point I'd like to make is about the reverence due to Almighty God. And he says this. Now, every time I say I, we're talking about John Henry, who wrote this. He says, I want to dismiss the false notion that people receive communion on the tongue out of some false piety or holier-than-thou attitude. While I cannot discount that there is some of that going on, from those I've witnessed and read about, receiving on the tongue comes from a deep reverential love of the King of Kings, whom we receive in this great sacrament. And I believe receiving our Lord on the tongue, John Henry says, while kneeling, reinforces that reverence, that reverence for our Eucharistic Lord. Some of the most powerful arguments for the need for this type of reverence are in the Bible. He says, remember when Moses first met the Lord God in the burning bush, as we read about in Exodus 3. Moses was told not to come too near the burning bush and to remove his sandals because he was on holy ground. In Psalm 95, we read, Come, let us adore and fall down and weep before the Lord that made us. We see it in the New Testament, too. When Peter, James, and John on Mount Tabor, the transfiguration, saw the glorified body of Jesus, which we receive in Holy Communion, and they prostrated themselves with their foreheads to the ground. But the biblical account that speaks to this subject most directly for me, that is for John Henry, is what happened with the Ark of the Covenant. You can read the account in both Second Samuel 6, 1 to 7 and First Chronicles 13, 9 to 12. The Ark of the Covenant was designed by God and built to the Lord's specifications. It contained manna, the staff of Moses, and the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It was so sacred that it was never allowed to be touched except by certain Levites, the priests of the time. That reservation of touching the Ark to priests only was potentially reinforced when a layman named Uzzah, who was transporting the Ark at the request of King David, was struck dead by God for touching it. This is serious, beloved. The Ark contained the manna, which prefigured the Eucharist, including Aaron's rod, which miraculously budded, and the Ten Commandments, which God rewrote on two tablets of stone because Moses smashed the first two tablets because he saw the worship of the golden calf and he threw them down. God had to redo them. Um, And this isn't even our Lord yet. It's a prefigurement of him. The holy ark over which the presence, the Shekinah glory of God descended, was not to be touched no matter what. We'll be right back, beloved. Don't go away. 
Are you having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful, full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight, gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSight in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, the battle for the soul of the church. Subscribe today at faithfulinsight.com and may God bless you. here on the Station of the Cross for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern with the Office of Readings read at 3 o'clock. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus tells us where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. <clears throat> Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are in the middle of a truly what I think a helpful article by John Henry Weston, um, editor and co-founder of LifeSite News on receiving communion on the tongue. And I'm going to continue this, and after our next break, we will take your calls and your emails. But right now, John Henry is giving, uh, he said, these are five reasons why we should not receive communion in the hand. And again, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, this is not on pain of sin. Uh, this is how strongly John Henry uh, Weston feels about it. I happen to agree with him completely. Um, but if you receive communion on the hand, you are not in sin. The church allows it. Do you have to receive communion on the hand? No, you do not have to. But it's not sin if you do. And John Henry is giving five reasons uh, uh, to... Um, uh, let's see, what's his title? Why Catholics should only receive communion on the on the tongue. But again, not pain of sin. This is John Henry's own opinion of that. And uh, I happen to agree, as, as do many, many others. And so um, 
these five reasons of these five reasons John Henry gives, I think he's narrowed a hundred down a hundred reasons down to five. He says the first point I'd like to make is about the reverence due to Almighty God, and he gives several references, one at the burning bush um I agree. Uh, let's see uh, the Psalm 95, but he said the primary uh, example for him is the Ark of the Covenant, which was designed and built uh, to the Lord's specifications. It was the holy? It was in the holy of holies within the tabernacle, the holiest place on earth. Only the high priest could go in there. Nobody could touch the Ark. It contained the manna, which prefigured the Eucharist. Uh, Aaron's uh, rod which budded miraculously and the two tablets of stone on which our Lord had to rewrite the Ten Commandments. It was holy and it didn't even, it had the presence of God, what's called the Shekinah, the glory of God descended upon that ark, but um, it all prefigured the real presence of God in the Holy Eucharist and the ark was not to be touched except by the high priest. And um, so here uh, they were um, let me see. Uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant uh, was on procession at the time, and it was being transported at the request of King David. And um, Uzzah, uh, who was the one transporting the Ark, touched it and was struck dead immediately. And John Paul Henry says, I keep saying John Paul Henry, John Henry Weston He says, now get this, Uzzah was trying to do the right thing. He was doing what he thought was right to save the ark. It was falling down, it was tipping over, and he just stopped it from falling. Who wouldn't? I would have. And he was struck dead on the spot. He and his brother were transporting the ark, I'm, I'm reading now from John Henry, in a cart pulled by oxen, and along the journey, it was tilted. And so Uzzah raised his hand so to steady the ark and was struck dead by the Lord. Scripture explains that the Lord struck him down because he was not to touch the ark. And it's very much the same in our time when many, uh, I'm continuing to read John Henry. I'm going to comment very, uh, very, very little because I want to give you this article. We'll continue tomorrow if we don't finish today. John Henry writes, It is very much the same in our time when many are trying to do what they think is the right thing for the coronavirus by receiving communion on the hand. And yet with the ark, it was not the right thing to do, even though it is what seemed expedient. It was done for good intent to save the ark from harm, just as many are receiving in the hand today with good intent to save their brothers and sisters in Christ from possible coronavirus infection or to save the church so she has the freedom to distribute the Holy Communion at all. Nevertheless, John Henry says, touching the ark was the wrong thing to do. The Lord's decision here perplexed David, who thereafter was afraid to bring the ark of the Lord to himself. And yet, what was the ark of the covenant compared to our Lord himself in the Eucharist? The ark was revered in the temple. It was carried in ceremony, and it was considered holy. And yet, it was holy Um, It was only the footstool of God. It was his presence veiled and a prefiguring of his real presence in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we receive in Holy Communion. 
John Henry says that his wife, he says, my wife, a convert to Catholicism, asked me the other day how communion in the hand makes sense given the practices in the church of consecrating the altar and sacred vessels used in the Mass. We see priests, she says, we see priests, bishops, even the Pope, covering his hands with the vestment called the humeral, the humeral veil during benediction of the Blessed Sacrament. This is all about the sacredness of Christ in the Eucharist. If we, allowed ev- if we allow everyone to touch the sacred host with their hands, the practice of the humeral veil becomes truly strange. I'll conclude, says John Henry, this point on reverence toward our Eucharistic Lord, quoting from Dietrich von Hildebrand, a German Catholic philosopher and religious writer known and loved by the last number of popes. He was reportedly called the 20th century doctor of the church by Pope Pius XII. Pope John Paul II greatly admired the philosophical work of von Hildebrand as well remarking once to his widow, Alice von Hildebrand, your husband is one of the great ethicists of the 20th century. By the way, beloved, Alice von Hildebrand is my spiritual godmother because my godmother, many of you may know, is Rhonda Chervin, uh, also a Jewish convert, but from an atheistic, communistic background, um, Hispa- uh, Spanish from Spain, um, uh Rondo, Rhonda de Solo Chervin and uh, Alice and Dietrich Bach von Hildebrand helped her into the church. So Alice von Hildebrand is my spiritual grandmother. I'm, uh, she's, you can read anything by her in full freedom and confidence. And um, let's see, um, Pope John Paul II said to Alice von Hildebrand, um, Your husband is one of the great ethicists of the 20th century. Benedict XVI also had a particular admiration and regard for von Hildebrand. He knew him when he was a young priest in Munich. The degree of Pope Benedict's esteem is expressed in one of his statements about von Hildebrand. Quote, when the intellectual history of the Catholic Church in the 20th century is written, the name of Dietrich von Hildebrand will be most prominent among the figures of our time. Here is what von, Dietrich von Hildebrand wrote about the subject of communion in the hand in his book titled The Devastated Vineyard. Quote, Unfortunately, in many places... Communion is distributed in the hand. Now, this is in the 1940s. To what extent is this supposed to be a renewal and deepening of the reception of Holy Communion? It is the trembling reverence with which we receive this incomprehensible gift, perhaps increased by receiving it in our unconsecrated hands rather than from the consecrated hand of the priest? Is it not difficult to see that the danger of parts of the consecrated host falling to the ground is incomparably increased and the danger of desecrating it or indeed of horrible blasphemy is very great? And what in the world is to be gained by all this? This is still the quote from Dietrich von Hildebrand. 
The claim that contact with the hand makes the host more real is certainly pure nonsense. For the theme here is not the reality of the matter of the host, but rather the conscience, the consciousness, which is only attainable by faith that the host in reality has become the body of Christ. The reverent reception of the body of Christ on our tongues from the consecrated hand of the priest is much more conducive to the strengthening of this consciousness than reception with our own unconsecrated hands. And that is right from uh, Dietrich von Hildebrand's book, The Devastated Vineyard, pages 67 and 68. So John Paul's first reason for not have not receiving communion on the hand is um is the uh reverence due to almighty god and the eucharist is just that almighty god the second reason that john paul puts forth john henry boy i keep saying that john henry if you're listening i'm so sorry i keep calling you john paul john henry weston the second reason is the authority of the church It is important, he says, to say that I'm saying this knowing full well we are in the midst of a coronavirus pandemic. In fact, the very first point I'd like to bring to your consideration is that the church has already considered the matter of allowance of Holy Communion on the tongue while facing the spread of this type of virus in modern times. Hold on a moment, please. John Henry continues, in 2009, in the midst of the H1N1 influenza pandemic, a lay Catholic in England in a diocese where Holy Communion on the tongue was restricted due to the pandemic, wrote to the Vatican about the matter. The response from the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments dated July 24th, 2009 was posted online by by Rorate Celi. The congregation, which is tasked with authoritatively responding to such questions, wrote back, quoting church law on the subject, saying, each of the faithful always has the right to receive Holy Communion on the tongue. Um nor is it licit to deny Holy Communion to any of Christ's faithful who are not impeded by church law from receiving the Holy Eucharist. So, no one has the right to deny Holy Communion on the tongue. You would be impeding church law at that point. Um, again, Holy Communion, I'm in my comment now, Holy Communion on the hand is not a sin, and it's allowed, but... Uh, church law allows Holy Communion on the tongue in first place as the norm, and nobody can deny that. The Vatican response added, quote, the congregation thanks you for bringing this important matter to its attention. Be assured that the appropriate context will be made, end quote. And that means whatever bishop, whatever priest is denying Holy Communion on the tongue will be contacted by the Vatican. Now that's in 2009, beloved, but nothing, absolutely nothing has changed. If you write a letter to the Vatican or get a hold of that letter, um, 
which I am going to read to you tomorrow. Um, you, it, the law has not changed, and you should write to the Vatican, and the response should be the same. We'll be right back. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is at a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. Life convictions into action and stand out for life every Saturday morning, wherever you may be. We'll be broadcasting live 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern, hosted by myself, Jim Havens, and Father Stephen Imbarato as we stand out live on location. But this is more than a broadcast, it's a call to action. Grab a pro life sign and publicly take a stand outside of a local abortion center or any high traffic area like an exit ramp, overpass, or street corner. And as you do, listen to the Stand Out for Life broadcast. If you're in the Eastern time zone, stand out from 9 to 10 a.m. and listen live. But if you're in a different time zone, the broadcast is easily available to you via podcast shortly after it airs on the iCatholic Radio app. So you can stand out and listen anytime that is most convenient for you. The main thing is that we all take at least an hour to stand out for life in public witness every Saturday, even if it's just sitting on the front porch holding a pro-life sign. Whatever you can do, we all must take a part in public witness for the end of abortion. God bless you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live, and this is our half hour together, so call in. I, I, I see we have Christian from Los Angeles on the line, but call in, dear ones, with anything on your heart, any subject at all, toll free, one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Kristen, hi, are you there? I am. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. And let me preface our talk by apologizing to you. We had to um, kind of uh, cut you off yesterday um, because it was the end of the program. So I, I know you didn't get to finish. And I did get your call. So go ahead, dear one. <clears throat> well, you know how di- divine providence is. Um, our Lord always um, has some special reason <laughs> for these things. And something happened last night when I went to um, the second Mass of the day for the Feast of St. John the Baptist at a church where and where I go to church, 98% of the people, 99% of the people receive on the tongue. Mm. 
or maybe as many as 85% in this particular church, but the pastor is completely, um, you know, in favor of this and there are no problems normally and so forth. But we were talking yesterday about the fact that it is a matter of charity that um, we don't just get into some crazy mentality where we're going to make a sacrifice of not receiving our Lord on the tongue because somebody says we have to receive in hand. You're very um, right, Kristen. No, 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 because here's here's the thing. Our Lord is waiting in that tabernacle for us to receive him. He is not waiting for us to make a sacrifice of a spiritual communion, which we can make a 100,000 all day right. long. Mm-hmm. And so... So we have to put aside our fake peace of soul and, you know, get up and go receive him, mm-hmm. no matter what happens. And there right. are Eucharistic ministers, there's all sorts of people that try to take over for the pastor and take over for the bishop and use the bishop's name in vain and so forth. And something like that happened on Friday. And then you get other people, and I guess they went to the pastor and told him a big story. Um, about how, you know, they, 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 they just wanted to attack me or something like that. So they gave him a big, crazy story. So he comes charging out of the sacristy before Mass yesterday up to me in the front pew and reads me a riot act. And I, of course, you know, I was a little surprised at the whole thing. And um, I don't back down. I mean, that's, I'm just not going to because it's too important. And so we kind of went at it for a couple seconds there. And I got the sense that he was looking for something. Um, you know, he was threatening me with being arrested and all sorts of stuff. It none of it made any sense. And so at one point, um, you know, I said something about the bishop because the bishop does back and support and, and, and in my case, has told me, call call my office if you have any problem with anyone, and we'll take care of it. So I started to mention something like that, and he immediately says, you know how, you know, this affects me. I don't, you know, go in front of this. And I suddenly, it suddenly hit me, men don't communicate too well, and it's up to women sometimes to understand, you know, what babies are saying, what men are saying, what people who are mentally ill are saying, and we're very good at it. And I think in some cases, we just need to ask the priest, what do you want me to do? And it suddenly hit me. I just said to him, Father, what do you want me to do? And it it was like there was a sudden transformation and he simply said, um, just come up to Holy Communion last so that I can um, purify my hands or something like that. Now, having said that to me, I watched what was going on. I mean, I said, oh, of course, no problem, Father. Kristen, beautiful. Um, dear one, um, I, I'm listening to your every word, and so is everybody else, because it's important. It's the subject of the day, but I'm going to ask you to try to curtail things a little shorter, because we have others to get to. But go ahead. Well, what I noticed, again, remember, this is a church where most receive on a tongue. So I'm waiting for the very end, but a lot of people are going up and receiving on the tongue ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And so I waited till the end, and I, I went up with... Um, 
and received and so forth, just as usual. And of course, it was is very beautiful. So the the point obviously is there's there are three points. One that in charity, both to the other members of the congregation and to Christ, especially who wants us to receive him, we, we receive him. We don't stop. I mean, I've been in situations, and I know other people have, where they've been swatted, where they've been yelled at, where they've had to kneel while the entire congregation received Holy Communion, yeah. and then they had right. to receive at the very right. end. I've okay. been in that situation, but the point too. Is, but the point is that this is what we need to do for our Lord. But the other thing is that we live in a country blessed with freedom of religion, which means that not only is the canon law and all the, like you're reading, all of the authority of the church behind the norm, which is to receive on the tongue, but um, and also you have to re- remember, too, that contagious disease protocol is in favor of reception of Holy Communion on the tongue because it every is. time it absolutely you is. touch your hand to your that's face. Right. That's right. You are and that was and, like, a, and a priest who reason. knows a priest who knows properly how to distribute communion on the tongue never has to touch the tongue. He does not have to sanitize his hands. That's terrible. That's really terrible. But go ahead. Never no priest should ever touch the tongue. That's period. Right. Period. Okay. But then the other thing is because we have freedom of religion, um if there is a situation where people have to go 50 miles or 20 miles or 100 miles because their local bishop or their local pastor is not complying with the church authority, is not, they're not um, uh, fulfilling mm-hmm. their vows and so on. They also have the authority of the state behind them because no governor, no one can dictate terms to the church. Unfortunately, Kristen, unfortunately, as you know, our bishops have given the church over to the government. No one, no governor has any power over a bishop. And by the bishops giving in, they've given the government a power that they don't have. It's a very tragic thing. I agree with you. This is why we as laity, though, need to start suing the bishops and also petitioning Rome to remove these bishops. That's what our duty is. And, okay, and, here, hold on, um, hold on, hold on, that. hold on now. Um, I would not sue the bishops. Uh, I'm looking at scripture that we should not act like the world. We don't sue one another, if possible. I do agree with absolutely petitioning Rome and letting the priest and the bishop know you're going to do that. That is the protocol, by the way, as I continue to read the article by John Henry Weston, you, you will, there's a particular letter that you can get a hold of that is valid to this day from Rome and you can petition Rome, sue the bishop, absolutely not. Sue the governor, I'm just, breaking in here, Kristen. Sue the governor? Absolutely not. There are bishops who are suing the governors, and I am heartsick about that. Our job is to spread the gospel to the world, to unbelievers. Faith is a gift. We don't sue unbelievers. We do everything we can to not act like the world, that they, that to be in the world and not of it, that they could see a difference in us. So for bishops suing governor, governors, it's a tragic situation. For us to sue a bishop is utterly tragic, I think. To, to give him the truth 
in a in a in a respectful way and then to petition Rome that is those are our marching orders yes okay i i agree with you totally 100% but i will say this that we are americans and we are protected by the constitution and by civil and criminal law and that when those things are violated we have a duty to protect our bishops, our church, and our families. Now, that's by, okay to protect our bishops, but not to sue them. That means that we protect the good bishops by suing some of these very, very bad bishops who also should be removed. But that's yeah, They should thing. be removed, but never... I, I'll leave it there, Kristen, but I have to put my last thought in here, even if you disagree. We never sue a bishop. We don't take the steps of the world. Uh, it's it's what uh, Paul wrote, I think, to the Corinthians. Uh, why sue one another? Why act like the world? You need to settle this outside, not in, in a lawsuit. It, our dirty laundry, the dirty laundry of this church, the priest scandal, the loss of faith of bishops and priests, people, is a scandal all over the world. We are destroying and and making a mockery of Christ and his church. And I don't go for it in any way, no matter how bad things get. Okay, well then, this, my three points, though, are, again, we must remember in all things charity, which is what you're saying, and especially charity to our Lord and charity to our neighbors and family by okay. not backing down, not stopping receiving Holy Communions. Good. If everybody was receiving... I agree, i got to stop you, Christian, because... If we come up to the next break, uh, I'm not going to be able to take you after the break. So, dear one, okay, I understand. You, I, you could ta- you could do the whole program by yourself. I know that, but um, let's let's try to get to the second point. The second point again is that we have a constitution which protects freedom of religion, and then the third point is what I experienced last night: that we can have these crazy situations because there are evil people that try to stir up stuff, even with good priests. And what we really need to do sometimes is just Mm -hmm. pause for a minute and consider, what do you want me to do, Father? That's right. Put the fire out. I know you want to help me, okay? You know, that's the sort of thing. Put the fire out and and be humble and... and uh, not stop countering what's causing it. I, I'm with you, Kristen. I, I don't know that I've, as we speak, I've ever disagreed with you. You're very good, but I, I really want to caution people against even if we have uh, the right to sue, which we do. Um, Paul says uh, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. So uh, I just want to keep that in mind. Kristen, you're a gem. Okay, Thank God you, bless mother. you. God, God bless. bless you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We have an email from Lauren who says, Hello, sweet Mother Miriam. Oh, thank you, Lauren. She says, We're having masses where I am from in Louisiana. See, this is the topic of the day, beloved. And I let Kristen go on as long as she did, and I would have her go on for two hours more because she understands the faith. She understands the church law. She knows what is right. And... um uh, she's very, very good, uh, but I, I just can't let her uh, talk the whole program. But um, this is, that's what all our emails, most of our emails and calls are about these days. It is the most burning and painful situation in the church today. Um, 
Lauren says, we are having masses where I am from in Louisiana. This past Sunday, my daughter, who is five, and I went to mass, Novus Ordo Mass. We sat close to where they were distributing Holy Communion. As soon as the seminarian was about to put the host in a person's hand. Now, see, that's wrong right from the beginning. A seminarian does not have consecrated hands, should not be handling the sacred host. It's not sin because the church allows extraordinary ministers of the Eucharist. So if the church allows it, it's not sin, but I see it as a tragedy. They are Their hands are not consecrated after all that happens at Mass um, for the consecration and the priest to touch nothing that has touched that sacred host uh, for the host simply to be given into unconsecrated hands seminarians, acolytes it doesn't matter it is desecrated it should never touch anyone's hands but the consecrated hands of a priest there's the music for our second break beloved, we'll be right back and uh, to take your calls and emails don't go away LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the Internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. And we are right in the middle of an email that I, I, I want to continue. Uh, hold on just a moment. Something's okay. Here we go. Uh, I'm going to, I was just at the beginning. It's from Lauren. So I'm going to continue, uh, right from the beginning. I'm just going to repeat a couple of sentences. Uh, Lauren writes, we're having masses where I am from in Louisiana. This past Sunday, my daughter, who is five, and I went to mass, Novus Ordo Mass. We sat close to where they were distributing Holy Communion. As soon as the seminarian, I talked about that, no seminarian or Eucharistic minister, I I believe, should ever touch the sacred host, ever. Anyone but a priest should touch it. But again... The church allows it. It's not a matter of sin. So there you go. As soon as the seminarian was about to put the host in a person's hand, it fell out of the person's hand onto the floor. The seminarian picked up. Now, if that happened, either the seminarian was not properly instructed on distributing the host or the person receiving the host did not make a proper throne with her hands for our Lord. And it should never have happened. The seminarian picked up the host and gave it to the person. That also should not have happened. Um, The seminarian tried to move the people a little ways from where the host fell, but it did not help because people were still walking all over Jesus on the floor. And she's assuming crumbs from the host that fell. And she's right to assume that because that's a given. Um, After communion was over, Uh, He whispered something to the priest, which I assume was about what had happened. Mass still continued. As soon as Mass was over, I immediately went over to where Jesus fell and knelt down. I made sure no one would step on him any longer. I waited, and, and for those who may question this, any particle, no matter how tiny of a fraction it is, um, is the whole Christ. Any particle of the host is the whole Christ. God doesn't come in parts. And so if there's a, one single crumb, it is the whole Christ, um, which is why it's such a desecration when patents are not properly used under uh, the mouth or the hands of those receiving communion. Um As soon as Mass was over, I immediately went over to where Jesus fell and knelt down. I made sure no one would step on him any longer. I waited for the priest to come clean, to come clean the spot up. I waited for over five minutes and nothing. So I made my daughter kneel down to make sure no one would walk there while I went to the sacristy. I saw the priest and asked if they were going to clean up the spot. He seemed frustrated with me because I asked him um, uh, if they were going to clean up the spot. Uh, Now, he seemed, I'm sorry, I lost my spot. He seemed frustrated with me because because I asked him this question and he said, it is not a big deal. I was shocked by that answer and I said, but father, he fell on the floor. Still frustrated with me, he said, don't worry about it, and walked away from me. My heart was completely broken at the response. I just received about Jesus falling on the floor. I went over to the spot, knelt and cried for Jesus, and said I was so sorry. I did not know what to do. So I grabbed my daughter for us to leave. Before I left, a friend of mine stopped me to give me something. 
as I was talking to her, I saw the seminarian go to where Jesus fell. He had a disinfectant spray. Oh, no. I tell you, beloved, people have simply lost faith. He had a disinfectant spray bottle in his hands. I know this because it says disinfectant spray on the bottle. I was so shocked. I'm sick to my stomach right now. What are you disinfecting? The carpet from Jesus? You don't need to disinfect Jesus. Are you disinfecting the carpet because God was on it? This is insane. Who would spray disinfectant on Jesus? She says, I know this because it says, okay, I was so shocked to see how they were cleaning up our Lord off the floor and how long it took for them to get there to clean it up after everyone had already left, meaning everyone would have stepped over him even more if I wasn't there to stop it. My heart is completely shattered to see the irreverence toward our Lord, which makes me think, how are we supposed to believe our Lord is truly in the blessed sacrament if he is treated that way? Well, I'll tell you something, dear one, and no one who doesn't have a strong faith would ever believe that was God because of that priest and seminarian. Uh, The seminarian did it in full ignorance and in unbelief. And if he was told to do it by the priest, he should have disobeyed. You don't spray disinfectant on our Lord. You don't let people step on him, but that happens in most churches, most Novus Ordo churches. Um, She says, I cried all the way home from Mass. I was so upset over what happened, so I am coming to you for guidance. I told a friend of mine who is a priest what happened through the phone. He was shocked, too. I asked him if he could recommend any holy priests in the area so that my family and I could start attending that priest's mass. Surprisingly, he told me I should stay at my parish church because they need faithful parishioners. No, no, beloved. No, I disagree. You don't have to suffer that way. Uh, What's more important is that our Lord be treated uh, reverently, not that you uh, help the church get its and the priest get its act back together. No, 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 no. Um, he said, if we start looking around and shopping for other churches to accommodate our needs, they're not accommodating your needs. They're accommodating God. They're showing reverence for God. He said, if we start looking around and shopping for other churches to accommodate our needs, we become like Protestants. I know that sounds like Protestants who do church shop uh, for the priest, uh, the rather the pastor they like. I know that, but I think it's become necessary. When we did not church hop or church shop, it was because priests were priests. They believed the faith and they honored our Lord. It's no longer the case. And as far as I'm concerned, the parish you went to is Protestant. For the seminarian to spray disinfected, for the priest to get annoyed that you're so fussy because you think it's really God. That's Protestant as far as I'm concerned. And she says, Lauren says, I honestly don't know what to do. Should I stay? No, you should not. Should I stay or should I look for a more faithful priest? Yes, look for a more faithful priest. She says, also, there are no Latin masses in the area, so I only have the Novus Order to attend. 
Thank you, Mother, for being such a true inspiration to us all. You are truly a loving saint. Well, if, if there's any truth to that, Lauren, so are you. We are all saints by our baptism. We are set apart for God, which is what a saint is. Um, no, there was a day I would agree with the priest who said, stay in the parish and help, but no, not if the priest himself is off, off and has lost his faith. Absolutely not. So... Look for a more faithful parish, a more faithful reverend priest. Absolutely. And I would also look for a Latin mass, um, even if you have to drive. In, in our parish, there are people that drive two hours on a Sunday to go to a reverend mass and to kneel and receive our Lord on the tongue. Um, and they can't do it weekdays, but they come with their dozen children, and they do. So I would say do what you can, and um, but absolutely uh, look for a more reverend parish, and you will find one when you find a reverend priest. Your priest is not only uh, uh, not reverend, but it's an abomination what he's doing. It's terrible. Um, God bless you, beloved, and we'll speak with you tomorrow.